Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mail. We're recording it from Audio Always' studio in Salford. I'm here with Molly. Hello. I'm here with Jack. Hello. And we're going to be talking about our normal stuff, um, a few a few big stories this week that we think you should know about. But we're also going to dig into a big story that we did this weekend. You guys have been working on it for ages. It was about workers in the hospitality industry not getting paid and getting paid late and all the kind of problems that that can create in their lives and, and what that story kind of tells us about Manchester and tells us about the hospitality industry. Now, before we get into that, uh, last week's episode, which actually came out this week, slightly confusingly, <laughs> um, was an interview we did with David Scott, yeah. um, author of Mancunians, a um, brilliant new book. That came live from our um, Mill Members Club that we did at the Burgess Centre. Um, and we've got another event like that coming up. We do, and what a brilliant night it was. Um, so Tuesday, 13th of June, please save the date. Um, the venue's still to be confirmed, but we are hosting the Mill's third birthday event, so it's three years since you sent out the first Mill newsletter, Yoshi. Yeah. Um, when is the actual birthday? I think the birthday itself is on, like, <laughs> June... I think it's, like, June the 4th. June the 4th. So send us your, like, birthday cards. June the 5th. June, June the 5th. The 5th. Mo- Monday, June the 5th. And then we're going to do our um, event on the evening mm-hmm. for Mill members on the 13th. That's right. And uh, Julie Hesmentard. Did I say her name right? Uh, yeah, Julie Hesmentard, yeah. Ju- Julie Hesmentard, the, yeah, the brilliant actor, narrator, writer. Um, she is going to be hosting the event and talking to Yoshi on stage. You um, may know her from Corrie. <laughs> You may know her from the Royal Exchange. You may know her from being a long-time mill member. <laughs> and she's going to host the event. So that's a big thing um, coming up. And please like put it in your diaries, even though we don't have a, a venue lined up yet. Another nice thing we had was uh, Terry White, who's a very well-known journalist. Um, if anyone's listened to her series on uh, the BBC about the lost children, the ghost children, kids who don't go to school and all the, all the problems mm. that that creates. Anyway, Terry White. Um, she has been sort of, I think, following our stuff for a while. But this week she did this really nice like Twitter thread. Um, she said, as, as so much local journalism is eroded and eradicated entirely, Manchester Mill continues to report its arse off, which is a reference to you guys. Uh, <laughs> this is the future-proof model. Shoe leather, ground reporting and regional relevance over a volume play of aggregation SEO and all clicks pay. So um, it was, I mean, we've kind of had her support on Twitter for a while, but she did such a nice tweet thread and loads of people retweeted and that stuff. So that was quite like a nice boost. That was lovely. And I think we're going to have her come along to one of our events and um, we? We, we're going to interview her about some of her reporting that she's done. Oh, um, so yeah, check out her podcast, um, The Ghost Children on, on, on BBC Sounds and you'll be able to hear from her soon. Now let's start our story roundup. A very familiar story for you, Molly, mm. which is about students. So the University of Manchester is taking disciplinary action against 11 students who took part in this rent strike. You've been kind of covering this for ages. I mean, actually, one of your first ever stories for The Mill was about a rent mm. strike or like one of your early stories mm. before you'd even joined on staff. But this particular rent strike this year, tell us what it was and what it's all been about. So it began in sort of mid to late December um, this is around the time that high food inflation um, and like soaring costs of living really started to kick in. And I think that combined with the expense of university accommodation and the kind of conditions that students were living in. So I went for a walk with this student um, around his accommodation and he showed me like 
mold on the walls and like crumbling kind of breeze blocks and it felt very kind of um I don't know just just very kind of um like basic really and basic and basic's not even the word because yeah like like not not really good enough given how much they pay definitely did you when you were a student because you graduated two years ago Mm. I think you joined the mill like two weeks after you graduated (laughs) or something in 2021 but when you were at the University of Manchester did you stay in those kind of blocks no I was um I stayed in like the slightly nicer accommodation I was willing I went posher I was willing to pay a bit more for like to be the near the library in a park (laughs) but but the people you've been reporting on some of them are staying in basically very substandard blocks Mm. they're paying a lot of money and there was also the feeling of the, like the pandemic has made their experience worse. It's disrupted some of the the, the teaching and stuff. Mm. And they felt like they shouldn't be paying rent for a certain amount of time. Yeah, the yeah the bottom line I think is for them is that is the cheapest standard of accommodation. It's still very expensive. It's about like nearly five hundred pounds a month. Mm. Um, and combined with those like poor living conditions, it created this feeling that students shouldn't be paying for it. So. Um, a lot of them were withholding their rent. The next payment was due in January. Um, a lot of them held that back, didn't pay. Mm. Um, there was another payment due in April. Mm. Before that, these students started um, an occupation, which is where they... Classic classic student tactic. <laughs> ...were very well worn. Um, and they like got into this um, building called the Simon Building, which is where loads of um, science labs are. And then another one called the John Owens Building, which is where a lot of the offices are, like... The University Vice um, Chancellor Nancy Rothwell has her offices there, and mm. they declared that like the John Owens Autonomous Zone. Um, okay, that became like there. And we, we, so we covered that as well. I yeah. feel like we very uh, mill readers are very up to date with what's going on. But but <laughs> but take detail. us very quickly through the university is now kind of taking a pretty hard line mm. on the people who, in particular, who are involved in the occupation. So we're talking about eleven students mm. um, in particular. What what's the uni doing? Yeah, so the allegation is that the university, um, say the students damaged property and caused injury and intimidation of staff during the occupation. Mm. Um, So they're taking pretty strong disciplinary action against all of them. Um, Do we know what's going to happen with them or is it too early to say that? I think too early to say. Yeah. Um, The students Um, haven't heard anything else other than they've got this discipline. And what are the students saying? Students are saying the allegations are false, that they're unprecedented, heavy-handed. Yeah. Um, they did reference an incident where there was some kind of damage to property and, and security called the police, but I haven't got details on what precisely went on there yet. But yeah. I mean, I, I kind of think it's a bit of a badge of honour, though, if you're a student protester that you get either arrested or you get like punished by the uni or whatever, because it, it, it publicises your cause, ultimately. Yeah. So I want to be interested to see if they're actually sort of semi-delighted about Mm. Um, the punishment depending what it is so we'll we'll catch up with that very soon and you can tell listeners what's happening there another story we've been having a look at this week is about unemployment and people who've been left out of the jobs market fraser nelson editor of the spectator wrote a piece that said almost seventy thousand people are receiving out-of-work benefits in manchester equivalent to 18 percent of the working age population mm. and he was kind of saying well employers are struggling to get people and yet we've got all these people who are not in work, mm. receiving benefits. Um, this is a topic that Fraser Nelson's written a lot about in mm. The Telegraph and in, in Spectator. And we had a look at those numbers. Um, Daniel Timms, our, our data and policy reporter, had a look at these numbers. Um, F- Nelson had written, welfare dysfunction has created a huge hole in the workforce. Mm. So, you know, quite a dramatic claim. Um, 
And some people have sort of been pushing back on the way he's dealt with the numbers, right? Yeah, and as Daniel um, reported earlier this week, as you say, I think there is good reasons that that figure is a bit overstated. Mm -hmm. So to break it into sort of three things. Firstly, um, roughly half of the total UK number that Nelson refers to experience health issues that keep them from returning to work. Right. Secondly, there are those with sort of caring responsibilities who can't reasonably be expected to work. And then thirdly, the figures include some of those who are working but earning less than £677 a week. So they're, they're, kind, of, they're kind of caught up in the numbers. Yeah, exactly. So it's not so simple or clear-cut as just like this is a huge sort of contingent mm. of people who are out of work. There are reasons keeping each individual section of this group out of work. Right. Makes sense. Right. Nevertheless, um, there is a definite thing here, isn't there, that like the number of people receiving out-of-work benefits of some kind is higher than it was before the pandemic. Um, and what's what's the Manchester number on that? Yeah, so in Manchester, it shows it's 28,700 people are out of work um, due to long-term illness. Uh, and that's an increase of around 4,000 people since before the pandemic okay. so there is a jump in there but you've written about this sort of thing before when you talk about people who can't necessarily get themselves back into workforce or even get themselves back into sort of normal life you wrote about martin a few years ago yeah so i met this bloke who lives in north manchester and he has been unemployed for a very long time decades yeah. and his story kind of highlighted that people can drop out of the labor force and then because they are isolated from society they can either develop mental health problems or their mental health problems can get worse. So some of those people you're talking about who um, they have health issues that prevent them from returning to work, some of those health issues are exacerbated by not being in work. Mm. And one expert I spoke to um, after I wrote that piece said, what you get is you get people who've fallen out of the workforce, they're not given the right support or mm. they get unlucky in some way. Life just throws them, you know, an unlucky turn. And then they develop mental health problems. They develop anxiety. They de develop depression, mm. drinking problems, drug problems. So it's um, the thing that he really talked about was if people think that the agency that like could take their benefits away, the DWP, mm. is also the agency that's like supporting them, it doesn't work. Like you almost yeah. need the support to come from a different source because to the support people, you you kind of want to admit, look, I, I think I can back get them back into work for these reasons. To the benefit people, you just want to be like, no, my, my situation hasn't changed. I still need the hmm. money and, until I am back in work. So there's a, um, there's a mismatch on incentives a little bit there. And um, Daniel Timms gets into that in yeah, our Monday briefing. Yeah, I was going to say, in what you sort of referenced there with regard to what Nelson's talking about is like welfare reform and actually what you were referring to there is more targeted support for stuff like mental health needs and that kind of thing. Yeah, and basically like uh, back-to-work job yeah. support. Um uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting debate. Go and read Dan Timms' analysis, and I'm sure we'll do more on it. Okay, so last weekend, I didn't really get a normal weekend. Um, neither did you guys, because we were putting the final touches to this piece that you guys have been working on about hospitality. And it's um, a story that was highlighting payment issues really people getting paid late people getting paid the wrong amounts of money people not getting paid at all in bars cafes and and restaurants and for months you guys have been speaking to people in this position i'm not saying it's the only thing you've been doing for months on end but you've been speaking to people for for ages about this and 
we're talking about a variety of businesses here. Mm. So I, I'm assuming a lot of listeners have, have read the piece, but you know, if they haven't, you know, this is a 3,500 word story that named five hospitality venues ranging from extremely expensive restaurant, Musu, mm -hmm. to a sort of student bar house, to like a cafe, coffee place, um, Grindsmith. And it involved us sort of bringing the perspectives of about a dozen workers to, to light and, and explaining what they've been through. Jack, let's start at the beginning. How did this story begin? From my memory, it was a few months ago that we started talking about it. It was January. Okay. Um, and it started because we both brought it to an ideas meeting because separate people got in touch with us about it. You and Molly both brought it? Yeah, separately though. Yeah. Um, so I was a, I was contacted by a source from when I reported on Manor um, last year. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying, I find the text actually. Um, he said, he basically sent me a long text being like, somebody wants to chat with you about this place. And it was just funny that he ended the text basically saying that this source in particular wants to make sure that people know what Manchester's newest shiny toy is really like. And I think that was like the perfect way of describing Musa at the time. So what is Musa? So it just opened, it'd been open about two months actually by then, but it was very much new and it felt very new. And Musu is this sort of like, apparently it costs three million pounds to open. It's this sort of mecca of fine dining. It's meant to be showing us the way that Manchester can go into the future as a culinary hotspot. You know, it's got like celebrities, footballers, the sort of culinary cognoscenti of the mm. city. We're like, this is the place. This is the answer. We've never had a good sushi restaurant since this one place that was quite good, which I, yeah, side note. Um, Grace Dan raved about it in The Guardian. The MEN absolutely swooned over it. Confidentials, another influential food site that we've written about before. They were doing paid partnerships and, you know, these sorts of deals. And it was just like, this place was pegged almost instantly as a roaring success mm. from no real, you know, there was no substance to back up the claim almost. Mm. It was kind of like, this place is opened. We've been told it's really expensive. We've been told the um, ingredients are really expensive and the inside looks pretty good. Mm. Therefore, this would be Manchester's next Michelin star restaurant. And to be fair, people really, really love the food and really like yeah. the food. I mean, you didn't rave about it when you, when you went there. No. But, but people really liked the food and there was a huge amount of buzz around it. Yeah. And yet you were hearing from people within two months of it launching, month and a half, that there were these payment issues. Yeah. Um, and we should say Musu denies a lot of the claims in the story. All of them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that they say well, they, they had some, some payment issues at yeah, the beginning, yeah. but they, they, they deny that they've been happening recently, mm -hmm. that it was ever repeated. They say it's deeply regrettable that, it, that, that, that stuff like this happened. So we'll come back to that in a second. But... I want to get a sense of how unusual is non-payment and late payment and stuff in this industry. Presumably, you guys have both worked these sort of jobs. Um, Molly, the what's your sort of sense of how common this is? I feel like it does happen a lot, but maybe people are just too afraid to speak up. Um, so I should say my I actually grew up in hospitality. Like my dad, it was a professional chef. My mum, my dad ran, mum and dad ran like a hotel together. Um, my dad's now like based in teaching and he's heard from students in the past, like these are people between like 16, 18, 19 years old, mm. um, that they've they've been treated a very similar way to what we report in our story, like not being paid and paid extremely late or being told they, they didn't have, like being told by businesses they didn't have their wages. Um, I think it is like a generational thing. I think young people who are vulnerable, a little bit more afraid of authority and don't know how to stand up for themselves 
can get treated like like this pretty commonly. And to be fair, like it's also just like you don't have any power. Yeah. If you're an 18 year old, you just turn, you know, and you're working in one of these places, or you're a 22 year old or a 25 year old, you don't really have that much power. Mm. And when you get made the bottom priority i mean obviously there are loads of amazing businesses that don't oh, God, yeah. that, that don't treat people like this there are lots of great hospitality places in manchester that are like very fair treat people very well we, mm. we've spoken to places but when a place does treat a staff member like this they basically they kind of don't really know what to do right mm. they feel yeah. a bit powerless well i think you make a good point about the age of people and the generational side of it but it's also i think part of the industry as well i was speaking mm. the other day to nate booker who's this kind of influential bar guy he runs a lot of the really popular facebook groups for owners of these kinds of businesses and they'll talk about like swapping ice a lot of the time but it's a lot a lot of the sort of issues around pay end up in these facebook groups like right has anyone got the number for this guy because right. i'm looking for pay and when i was talking to him about it he made a really interesting point which was that a lot of businesses in hospitality already don't have a very formal structure in place for dealing with problems as in they're often like you're often billed as part of a family and it's like we're all a big family here and we're all working and we're all mucking in together it's not like if you work in an office and like the only time you'll see the owner of the place you work for is like at the christmas party and you'll have two drinks together you're probably seeing the owner of your business every day you're often because of the way the industry is having a drink with them after work you create a much stronger bond with them and it becomes a lot harder to sort of pierce that with formality. Right. You know, and kind of just be like, oh, yeah, this is really fun. I'm having a good time. This is, oh, cheers for the free drink, by the way. You haven't paid me yet. Yeah. And it's kind of like, who wants to be the person who upends that um, illusion that we're all just a big family? If it isn't, and it's not always an illusion, of course, but you have to be able to get around that. And I think that's another thing that stops a lot of people from going for these things. And... Molly, the I think the reason this story did so well, mm. so we got hundreds of tweets, loads of people got in touch with us. We got a lot of people on Twitter saying, like, this has to change, this industry needs mm. to... I mean, this industry needs to start paying people properly, but also just, like, giving people contracts and, like, giving them some actual rights and, and, yeah. and, and, and stop being so casual about everything. But the reason it had such power is because of the stories. Mm. And it brought home, didn't it, like, what it is like to not get paid or to get paid late and the impact that has on people's lives. Definitely. Um, so I spoke to a um, former staff member at Bougie, which some read readers might remember. It's this very pink Instagrammable restaurant on Bridge Street near Salford. Me and Jack actually went a couple of years ago for a, a different story. Um, but yeah, that closed uh, last September. And in the months leading up to that, in May 2022, they had a real problem with paying staff. They could only pay staff 40% of their wages. And that had a real impact for this worker I spoke to because he completely depended on that money to pay his rent, pay his bills. Um, his situation was such that he was living in the city centre and needed to get the bus to visit his granddad in hospital. And he was worrying about things like, will I be able to afford the bus fare? Will I have to ask my mum and dad? Mm. Um, he actually defaulted, his credit card defaulted and he got called by a debt collector in the month of June because he hadn't made the £50 a month repayment. Um and luckily, he was given a bit more time to, you know, sort things mm. out, get the money together. Eventually, the rest of the wage came through. But that was a real moment of anxiety for him. Like, I imagine it would be for anyone. I mean, imagine yeah. being called up by someone who's essentially a bailiff. And mm. it's it's an intimidating experience. I, um, and it did cause him a lot of panic. And he said, yeah, this really, this really played on my depression and anxiety. It was, it was a tough time for me. There was also a quote that you had from um, one of the students mm. um, who had been working at this place house mm. on Wilmsor Road. 
And there's a quote saying, house made me quite anxious. Um, am I going to get paid right? Am I going to get paid holiday? You could never quite rely on them to pay you properly. And there's another quote from, I think, someone who worked at Moosey. I was just begging anyone. The accountant wasn't answering because every, they were flooded with emails. Like, you can sort of feel the, like, anxiety it gives people. Definitely. Jack, is that what you got from people you spoke to? Yeah, I mean, there was a constant, like, in all the conversations, and I think we put it in one of the earlier edits of the piece, or it might be in the piece, but there was also, like, a lot of sense of anxiety but then a palpable sense of like powerlessness mm. and a lot of people were just kind of like this is just dragging on and i'm not getting the money it was all you know it, what made me what was most frustrating sometimes was that people were talking about being given money that they are owed as if it was a kind of maybe situation for them by that point like you've done the work you've done your part in this agreement and now you're talking about being rewarded for it as a possibility maybe when i get the money i'll be able to do this like one guy was saying i have huge amounts of you know loads of bills to pay i need to pay my friends back because i've um you know i've been borrowing money off them and i hopefully will be able to pay them like hopefully be able to pay them it's like you've already done the work mm. you should have the money you shouldn't be in this situation mm. i think it's getting that across to a reader and people listening to this that there are people who've done work and have bills and are now kind of weighing up whether or not they will be able to make good on payments because someone else isn't making good on their side of the bargain. Like, that's just so frustrating. And these are people who are working in businesses or in uh, restaurants, cafes, where our listeners and readers are going and spending money. Mm. So, so sometimes you're going to these restaurants, you're spending like £100 or you're going, you're buying your coffee or whatever. And the people who are serving you, or some of them, you know, the people included mm. in this story are not getting paid that month or they haven't been paid for two months or they've been half paid or mm. like there's been some, their pension hasn't been paid properly. Like it's, it's, it's kind of this like hidden thing behind yeah. the hospitality veneer. So frustrating. Yeah. And it's galling because it's something that overlapped as well. You mentioned Bougie before. Mm. Was Obviously Bougie was like such an Instagrammable restaurant. So you're always, I suppose maybe you would have this problem if you weren't going to be getting paid. But one source who I spoke to from Bougie mentioned how, you know, the owners would come in and film content about how great Bougie mm. is. And he'd be there like in the background of the, these videos, unable to buy food. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And it's like, yeah. and it's being billed as this luxurious experience to come and throw money at, whereas there's people there who literally can't afford rent and are owed thousands of pounds. And that overlapped to Musu. So Musu, a lot of what people um, brought up who worked there was this intense feeling of kind of betrayal and also just like disrespect at the, they were not being paid by the owners of this restaurant. And then those same owners were coming into the restaurant, eating thousands of pounds, consuming loads of stock, and comping it for themselves and that was like how annoying would that be and that, and i think that's another it's the sort of layers of disrespect that people are putting up with in, in these jobs you've got to give us that quote because that really stuck out of the piece oh um yeah. you've got um a quote in, the, in it from from one of your sources yeah the quote's this it's the owners came in every week and racked up four thousand pound bills but couldn't pay their staff the owner came in on the day we found out that we wouldn't get paid and ate at the sushi counter and we're all just like, that's disgusting. You said you can't pay us, and now you're going to sit in front of us and eat £200 sushi. And like, what did you think when someone told you that? Well, I think we both interviewed that source. And I remember hearing that and just thinking, like, that's just stunningly annoying. But also, like, it's stunningly disrespectful and arrogant as well. Mm. And I think that, again, speaks to when you were talking about like powerlessness. The flip side of that is people who own these businesses and operate on the assumption that they will get away with it you know that's the reason why a lot of the i think employees and the workers feel so sort of crestfallen by it is because they see employers who are kind of like yeah 
this is how it will work. And I'll continue to not reply to you when you ask me where your money is. And you'll carry on coming in and working for me. Like, that must be so degrading and annoying. So why do they not get called out on it? Because I, what, So one of my takeaways from this story is about the hype that these places mm. get. And about how the media in Manchester, there's a lot of food media or like hospitality media, sort of like there are a lot of different Instagrams mm. and websites and blogs. And they're like a hype machine. Mm. It's like a new place opens and you've got like re basically rewritten press releases, right? So the place can put out all this hype. And if you just put like the name of a lot of venues in Manchester into Google News, mm. you'll just see dozens of different versions of basically various announcements and press releases. So you've got all this hype happening. And then so little scrutiny. Mm. And it's like, I think, is one of the reasons that people feel like the owners can do what they want and the owners feel like they can do what they want because basically, traditionally, there's been no one calling it out. Yeah. I think, it, like you were saying, that hype, it creates a sort of fog that becomes harder and harder to pierce for someone. But it's also because a lot of the times the people quoted in these press releases are the owners. So the owners always have media representation, but the workers don't. So like, if the work is not being paid, but he sees that the, his owner's in the MEN saying, this is a great place and we're going to do well, it's kind of like, well, why would you even think for a minute, oh, well, I'll go to the MEN who's just printed my owner's quote hmm. and tell them that actually what he's saying might not be quite so accurate. Yeah. Like you're already going to be disincentivized to speak to press about this sort of thing. And it makes it harder to kind of tell these stories, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it, actually. Like, the media coverage of a lot of hospitality stuff is entirely from the mouthpiece of the owners the prs mm. the, the, the the people running these things and what the journalism that you guys have done in the past couple of years what it's actually done is just let's hear from some workers at this place let's hear mm. some from some workers at this place often they don't want to be named because like they don't want to get sacked and they don't want to ruin their career but you guys have kind of given a bit of a platform and now I think we're seeing a more balanced coverage. Mm. And that doesn't mean all hospitality in Manchester is like bad or corrupt or anything, because obviously there's loads of great businesses. But it's not that difficult to find people who mm. haven't been paid or have been paid the wrong thing or they've been paid late or they've been treated badly, right? It's not, no. And yeah, I should mention um, our reporter Libby Elliott. She's an investigations editor at the Mancunian. Did some great reporting on this. And it was just one post in a student Facebook group where she was asking for people about experiences of not being paid or being treated badly in hospitality and within a few days she had seven people on a zoom call with her like like you say it's it's not too difficult to to find people because i think it is so common yeah i as an editor like one of my motivations for doing this doing this story is i feel like hospitality is a very key industry in manchester it's like fast growing it has a lot of political backing from andy burnham and sasha lord etc and it kind of feels like it's right at the centre of this whole Manchester thing that's happening, like the 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 the, the, the city centre, the return to the city centre, tens of thousands of new people moving there. And hospitality, I think it's core to Manchester's identity at the moment. And I kind of feel like as an editor, well, okay, if it's if it's so important, and we're going to talk about it all the time, we're going to talk about like the, the difficulties owners have in the pandemic and that kind of thing. We should also talk about this industry from the workers perspective which is kind of what you guys have been doing on and off for a couple of years tell me about what it's like to hear like the gap between like the public press release hype side of the industry and the side from the experiences of the people you've spoken to um 
at first it's kind of like funny and then it becomes more and more frustrating as you read more i think it always like when when we come to write the pieces and we gather all the information together sort of and we all you know when we are you work with me so you know mm. uh, it's like a big master doc and it's like here's everything that's been said about the place and we always put that like here's the current here's what's been reported and then we'll literally have like four more pages of like oh, yeah, here's what we actually know about the place and it's like when you see stuff like that it really does strike you how underreported some of this stuff can be and also why then that always sort of not annoys me but always seems to happen with hospitality as well which is frustrating is that when these pieces go out despite the fact that all the reporting up to that point has been very positive the response from people is always like well this isn't that much of a surprise and it's like how it's the fact that people will read the positive stuff and even still reading it be like okay this i mean it's probably not this good Hmm. but then it still continues to be pushed out and it needs you know a report like the one that we put over the weekend to go for people to say yeah that's probably what i imagined it would have been Hmm. like everyone already has this sense that it's um that these issues exist in the industry but we there's just so little reporting that actually points to it and says it which i think is just really bizarre and i've never really been able to understand it because as molly was saying before it's not difficult to find this stuff i did one reddit post and i got like 30 odd comments with people talking about places where they've they've struggled with this stuff so people know it's out there and i think it's important especially you know now from our perspective we're doing it to shine the light on it and actually confirm a lot of people's suspicions about places and have we heard from people it's always interesting when after you've done a story you hear mm. from people you've written about mm. so i remember after the one you did about manor i got a text off one of the key sources because i had spoken to that person they were just so happy about it and so appreciative of the story um have we heard from people about this story yeah i got some really nice messages from a few sources at bougie at house um about you know just how much they appreciated it it being out there um one thing i think that it struck them about these places in particular was how kind of um how much like they prioritize kind of press buzz and the kind of um, positive reinforcement about the businesses and it made them feel quite quite low so I think they were quite glad to see some kind of like I think justice is kind of like the right word to use. Mm. Jack have you heard from anyone? I have oh I've heard from a few people who were old sources and then I've heard from new sources as well being like oh I work at this place and I've had a similar issue Um, but yeah it's always really nice when you get those messages where people are just like thank you it feels great to see that this is actually being talked about now because i think like we were saying before it must be harrowing if you work somewhere that's just not that good and it's almost like the entire every time you google it you're being told that it is good it must actually be quite dissonant (laughs) to do that Mm. every day and know that everyone else thinks this is great and probably wouldn't really take your word for it if you said it was bad because all the prevailing information is like that it's great um but yeah it's been concerning actually how many people both from the businesses that we reported on but also on new businesses who've been in touch since talking about instances of the same sort of behavior which i think is yeah shame yeah so we'll return to it i guess we'll return to it and and do more on it um but yeah i think that was an interesting insight into into this story and how it came about so guys that is the end of this uh special episode about uh, the hospitality industry and this story we've done um we're going into the weekend we're going to do our usual recommendations to finish the episode. I am going to start with Molly. 
Yeah, so I think we've got another mini heatwave coming. So me and Danny Cole, uh, Mill's first staff reporter, we're going to go wandering around the Manchester Flower Show over the weekend. Is that what they've been setting up in St Anne's Square? Yeah, just outside the office. Yeah, there's going to be like um, a wa- lovely wildflower installation near the fountain, which is going to be nice. And um, food stores, um, drinks. I heard the word apple spritz bandied around. Wow. Should be pretty nice. Um, so yeah, that's my, my rec for the weekend. It's completely free. I would go for a lovely wander and see what they've got going on. Nice. Okay. Jack? Um, I just came across this and thought it was interesting. There's a secret dinner at Manchester Art Gallery, rendered less secretive by yeah. this podcast. But also, <laughs> it's on. It's literally on Eventbrite, so anyone can find it. There's only 15 tickets left at the time of recording. Huh. Uh, it's £45 each. It's a tasting menu. It looks really cool, actually. Um, it, you can expect to, quote, get cultured in this oh. supper club which what i think i think we should all strive um for that from time to time <laughs> what kind of food would question mall secret you put them on the spot yeah. um, <laughs> they've not put a menu they've just put um, some like bird's eye view of what does definitely look like food but i can't tell what kind <laughs> fine, <laughs> fine. it's a secret yeah. um we drove past salford museum and gallery on the way here mm. it's a disgrace that you've never been given yeah, that you grew up been. in salford so guys this is what you need to go to at the salford um art gallery and Salford Museum. Take a step back in time to Lark Hill Place, an atmospheric recreation of a typical northern street during Victorian times, before taking in the upstairs galleries showing the social history and art collections and temporary exhibitions. So yeah, this this thing about Lark Hill Place sounds really good. Mm. Um, visits are free, um, and uh, opening times are 9.30am to 3.30pm, Tuesday to Friday, and 11.30 to 3.30 on Saturday and Sunday. So head over to Salford Art Gallery. Guys, thank you very much for for gathering to do this. Um, Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, Please do leave us a rating and a review in Spotify, in Apple. I look every week to see how many uh, ratings we've got. Absolutely (laughs) love it. Um, Please do share the episode with people as well because we're we're trying to grow the audience a bit. And if you'd like to support the kind of journalism that we do and that we've been talking about today and allow Jack and Molly to do more of this kind of reporting, um, and if you're not a Mill member yet, then please head to manchestermill.co.uk forward slash subscribe, £7 a month or £70 a year. And every new member we get, we're excited about. And every new member we get, we allows us to do more of the kind of thing we've been talking about today. Thank you very much and see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>